Hey, <laughs> it's episode 49, a, a, a somewhat overdue episode 49 of We Have Such Films to Show You. Uh, I am Josh Millard. With me, as always, is Yakov Grinberg. Hey, party people. And uh, we, yes, yes, the party people. I hope everybody's summer was good. Uh, we can we can go... Uh, I. I got nothing. That just I, I had I was gonna try and make some sort of crack about high school and it just like fell over so hard, like yearbooks, but no you do that before the summer, not when the school year starts up again. And I was like, what do you do when school year starts up again? Uh yeah, I don't know. Anyway, also with us our very special guest today, uh Jesse Holden. Hi, you compare trapper keepers with each other to see which uh which cover each other went for. Ah, I see. That's isn't that what you do when you get back from summer? Not when I was in school, because trapper keepers were like explicitly not allowed. Like my entire middle school and high school education, I think you were Wait, all Lisa why? Frank stuff. I don't know why. I, uh, there must have been some shit that went down in like the late eighties. I trapper mean, keepers. they were shitty binders. Like the quality of the actual, you know, thing. They were pretty crappy. So maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe. But ah, oh, man. Josh, you're just going to pass up that crapper keeper joke right oh, there? It just got served to you on it, a platter? It, it really, it, it did fly by there. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I feel like we're off to a real strong start here. This is clearly resting up, has, has uh, gotten us in top form. So I should explain what's uh, going on with this Jesse fellow. We've mentioned uh, him a couple times, or I, I have specifically mentioned him, because he is my co-conspirator on another podcast that uh, he and I do together. Uh, called The Crapshoot, uh, which is kind of like we have such films if the topic was instead of horror films, just literally anything that stumbled into our drunken heads as we drink beer. Um, Including occasionally horror films. Yeah, so you know, there, there's some overlap there. And Jesse, also, uh, you do a, another podcast uh, yourself uh, called In the Cut that is a movie podcast. That is, yeah. We're on episode 20-something, so probably. We, we started around the same time as we have such films, so we're, uh, we're kind of... Uh, it's a, it's a horse race. Yes, a horse race. A yes. horrors yeah. race uh, to a rural juror. Uh, <laughs> no, that's actually that's that's part of the origin story of we have such films because uh, part of it is that Yakov was just so stunned to find out there were nine Hellraiser films, uh, <laughs> and then and then we just went at it because it's like, hey, we should do a podcast. But I was partly saying, hey, we should do a podcast because I'd been on in the cut with you and uh, did that episode about Willow, I think, with you and Aaron Haas. Mm-hmm. And uh, and had a really good time. I was like, hey, this is a good time. I can do podcasts that aren't just the Metafilter podcast. All right. And so me and Yakov <laughs> started that up. And I think we got like two episodes out before you ever released the episode that I'd been on. Uh, thus emphasizing the difference in editing philosophies <laughs> uh, of the two shows. Jesse does a much more careful and thoughtful and studied job of listening to and editing down and really refining the hell out of uh, his his podcast episodes, whereas this episode started with me introducing dead air because I couldn't think of a high school <laughs> metaphor correctly. And that just that that's just staying in because that's that's how we roll on we have some Well films. if we're gonna be fine for it, we might as well keep it in. Exactly. You know it's like I'm I'm already bleeding cash of the FCC, you know. Also at this point I think you can basically start your own podcast network, Josh. You've got what, four now? Four, yes. Yeah, you should start a podcast network. Yeah, but I have no organizational capability, which is why Jesse's the one who has an interest in doing that sort of thing. Has actually made some small uh, 
I'm scratching around the edges. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something I think is is in our is in the future of this endeavor. Yes. Uh, is to n- rope them all together and then somehow do something with that. Stick a stamp on them. I think it, I think Absolutely. it could work. Uh, but we're here today. We're gathered here today, uh, dearly beloved. Hey, before uh, we're done plugging my stuff. Oh yeah, no, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Just gonna say, um, inthecut.org is the URL for in the cut, and thecrapshoot.net is the URL for the crapshoot. Or the gun emoji, the poop emoji. Tk. And uh, no, but wait, the poop emoji, then the gun emoji. Yes. Crap, and then shoot. <laughs> and that way, the gun is pointing do? at the poop, which is how we wanted it. So you, if you uh, if you have your emoji keyboard out. Uh, Poop emoji, gun emoji, dot TK. <laughs> How long until there's TLDs that are also emoji? Oh, gosh. I figure it can't be too long. I don't know. There's, so, there's, there's something about how they're all non-compliant. That's why you can't get an emoji.com thing. It's, it's like there's only a couple registrars for whatever technical reason. That's why it's a dot TK, because it's one of only like two or three that will actually let you register as an emoji. So you can't do like horse emoji, horse emoji dot horse? I don't. That's a well. That's, that's a, a really good question. question. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's a that's a. That's the best question uh, I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, we should look into that. That could be a, that could be a topic for the next crapshoot. Um, but we're here today on uh, we have such films to show you, or we have such crap to shoot you. I don't know what we want to call this special episode. Oh, that works! Record. I like that. We ah. have you're listening to we have such crap to shoot you uh, with me and Yakov and Jesse Holden, and uh, we're talking there about a be movie. Two of you, though, two of oh yeah, true. I mean, if it's it a should real be, crossover, yeah, there it, should it, be it, me and Jesse and two of you. I, I yeah, I need like I uh, yeah. Yes, that is true. I have nothing to say except for that is correct. Uh, the movie. We're watching a movie. Well, we've, we've watched a movie. Jesse, you did watch, did watch the movie, movie, right? I did watch okay, the movie. Good. I, I mean, I expected you to, but you know, you haven't done this particular one 49 times, and I know you're unfamiliar with the concept of podcasts and movies, so... All was, of this, I, was, I, I, was I don't worried. even know who you guys are. Uh, but, uh... Well, you know how you were looking at like a bunch of static images, just one flying by each other. The way you're supposed to see it is that they're supposed to blend into a sort of moving picture. Oh, I see. That makes sense. See, the problem is I have HD eyeballs, so they they really pick out the individual frames, and so I really, I, I find films more like less like a, a a recreation of life and more like an incredibly lengthy, tedious slideshow. Like someone went on vacation and they took literally ten thousand pictures. And there's like, oh, and then, and then, and then I uh, started to shoot a guy, and then I started to shoot him a little more, and then the bullet started to come out, and then there was sort of a flash, and the bullet moved a little, and you know, it just goes on like that. And it's if I was going to make a film representation of your HD eyeballs, I would probably do an ultra tight shot of the uh, aperture of the red eye opening five thousand times, uh, like happened in the movie <laughs> Hardware that I just watched. <laughs> Which is the film we're talking about? We should, uh, yeah. Hardware. So hardware, hardware. Now this, I, uh, I am curious about both of your thoughts on this movie before you sat down and watched it potentially again because I'd never even fucking heard of it, and I can kind of understand why now because spoiler alert, I don't think it's a very good movie. But did I suggest this? You did. You, I did so suggest you are this. definitely okay. the responsible party. So <laughs> I had, um, I guess the reason I suggested is that I had watched uh, the director of this, uh, Richard Stanley. He was, um, after doing this and I think something else, he was tapped to do The Island of Dr. Moreau. 
Um, and eventually he was the one with uh, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Um, and eventually he, he was off of it. It was just, it was a horrible, horrible production. There's a documentary about the production of it and like about how horrible the uh, production of it was called Lost Soul, uh, the doomed journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. And it's an amazing documentary. It's on Netflix. You should definitely watch it. Um, it's, it's like awful and hilarious and, um, it'll really, you'll come away with a really solid opinion on Val Kilmer, which is something most people probably don't have yet. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so it turned out that he had done this other movie called Hardware, which was, you know, I didn't really know much about it. It was just like sort of a post-apocalyptic, like cyberpunk Terminator sort of thing. Um, and then I saw that it was on Netflix and I was just like, oh, hey, you know, that movie looked like it had a really cool aesthetic. Um, and so that's why I suggested it. I knew nothing about it except for that, uh, like at the point of when I suggested it. Well, I'm so glad that that is how we ended up coming back with this after such a long wait. Everybody's like, oh, where's the next fucking podcast? Just you wait. We picked out a quality film based on a strong <laughs> pedigree. Uh <laughs> This movie, this this movie was extremely made in 1990. I'll say that. Yeah, it's. I always forget like that. Like the front end of the 90s was really definitely right next to the back end of the 80s. Like it, it all sort of just like I think somehow the 90s is all uh, you know weird pastels and and grunge, and then the 80s was its own thing. But like 1990 was definitely like uh, horologically speaking a cusp. Like a real, real solid. There's both going on here. Is my yeah, thought yeah, on the, time? The, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, it was doing like the whole like industrial thing, and you know, you got you got ministry playing in the background, and you've got like you know the 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 old computers. Um, uh, but but yeah, like at the same time, it, it's very like like the practical effects in this were a lot of like waving stuff in frame, slightly out of frame on a stick. Yeah. Um, and and the characters were like really just i mean they they were they were just sort of like these blocky archetypes in a way that 80s movies did really well and 90s movies just did differently they were kind of being waved in front of the camera a little bit too <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was it, it's interesting cuz okay so I, I i think this movie was yeah kind of kind of a mess I guess yeah, is a good word for it. Like, there's there's mess. things in the movie I like. I, this isn't just a everything about this I thought was worthless. But as a movie, it really doesn't hang together well. The characters are really incoherent. The plot does not seem to have a whole lot of plot to it. The entire third act is just basically a music video. Yeah, right. not 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 the best. I'm Although still not some- sure what happened at the end. And I and I read like a synopsis of this after watching it. <laughs> still not sure. This is based on, according to Wikipedia, so I'm an expert about this, a short story from 2000 AD, and I kind of feel like I'd oh, be I was really read that before the podcast, and I didn't. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see what the actual story was like because I suspect that this movie could have been born by a totally reasonable, solid, uh, you know, it's seven story. pages. Yeah, like like this could have. Yeah. This could totally be someone doing a terrible job of adapting yeah. some really solid, you know, inspirational source material in a way that maybe someone else could take another shot at it and do a good job. Uh, well, it's they're adapting what is obviously a very, very short story into an hour and a half long movie, yeah. which is why you have a movie where basically one thing happens and it's the yeah. whole movie. <laughs> yeah. um, what? To, tell me about 2000 AD though. Is it like a, a comic? 
anthology series it or was something? A, uh, it was, it's a British, it's a very, very long-running uh, British comics anthology that has, um, it has, you know, like, individual short stories, and then it's got, like, recurring, uh, recurring, like, uh, comics within it like that's where judge dread is from right yeah yeah, he's from 2000 ad and like if you imagine Um, this film as if it had been made instead by someone working with the same source material but this was the sequel to the recent dread film all of a sudden i'm excited about that i'm like yeah (laughs) you know this this could probably be but there's everything about it would have been different so yeah yeah i'm looking at the comic it's based on right now i mean i think if you just google uh, shock! It's S H O K exclamation mark. Oh, and it looks like this was actually took place in the Judge Dread universe because it was in the Judge Dread annual 1981. Um, and it appears in like a reprint series of Judge Dread stuff. So I think this takes place in the Judge Dread universe. I, th- I think, I, I or think at least the comic sh- did. That's what we should assume. Like, like, and this film is from the terrible Judge Dread universe. One of the many multiverses the one that, has that are Rob just Schneider. Yeah. <laughs> He exists in that university. <laughs> I uh, I feel like uh, yeah. I feel like see. The, okay, so here's the interesting. So you said that story is from like 1981. So there is reprinted in 81. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it's from 81. Okay, so so that that establishes what is actually a kind of slightly more flattering than I would assume pedigree, which is a pedigree that doesn't necessarily involve someone having just sat down and watched Terminator and Aliens and decided, you know, I should make a movie. Um, well, I'm sure he did that too. Well, yeah, it, like because it's hard. It's really Terminator in particular. It's really hard not to look at this and look at Terminator and say, "Why didn't I just watch Terminator?" You know, like there's you can't really get away from the directness of the rampaging robot. Maybe little Terminator mix. Okay, so this 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 movie is Terminator mixed with uh, Short Circuit. Let's say is sort of like the aesthetic of the robot. Like it's it's a killer robot. It's relentless. Nothing will stop it. But it's also kind of pretty janky looking. And there's a whole cobbling stuff together montage. And yeah, it really looks like something somebody made on BattleBots but wasn't allowed in. <laughs> it was just like, no, you can't have this here. It's it, it's going to kill somebody, and it does. Um, but yeah, it it really it's not like it's it. I don't think at any point it appears as like a a a like a walking sort of skeletal structure. It's always like a little tank sort of thing, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think we ever see it really locomoting. When it moves, it seems to be pulling itself with its arms, by and large. Yeah. But then it spends so much of the movie like in a "oh, I'm about to die" type of state to throw to trick the audience <laughs> into thinking <laughs> that the 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 enemy has been nearly defeated. I certainly felt that. Was, so when it's crawling on its time. hands or dragging itself upstairs or whatever, it often seems like it's not supposed to be doing that. But that's like its death throes that it spends most of the movie pretending to be in 40 minutes of death throws yeah, yeah. it really is <laughs> i had come a, this is actually my second time seeing the movie and i saw it the first time as a um in the in the 90s um and uh and, and i think the way i came across it was i was um as a fan of industrial music which is always really sample heavy there was a sample that was from this movie and kind of in the pre internet being the answer to everything days my friends and I were always like really interested in like if one of us rented some weird movie off the from the video store uh, and caught like some skinny puppy sample or some ministry sample or something, um, 
in the movie, we would like be really excited and we'd like watch, you know, rent it again and be like, <laughs> yeah, that's where that sample's from, from that song. And uh, I actually forget what song it is, but when she is, uh, I guess what's happening is she's using her house to hack into the robot's brain. I don't exactly I, know. I was not clear. Yeah, yeah. not, but, I, but, I, that was like the point, that was like the, 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 what do you call it, the high watermark of incoherence in this movie. <laughs> Uh, That's when the movie what, went what full Zardoz, I think. Or actually, the de- the dying while the guy's on the drugs is when it really turns the Zardoz corner and becomes cyber Zardoz for the last third of the movie. But she says... Um, uh, you feel me now, fucker. I'm in your mind, and it's it's that's sampled in some industrial song somewhere, and I was really thrilled <laughs> to have discovered it, and that's how I came across this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it's and it's exactly how I remembered it. <laughs> Rewatching the, um, it now, the I think the the opening theme to this podcast is um, is it Chains by uh, Gatekeeper. Um, and I had to, it was, it's, you know, industrial, it's like an industrially sort of synth, uh, group that's like, it's contemporary though. Um, but they had a sample in one of their tracks and it might be the track that opens this where somebody just says, uh, hell was what he wants and hell was what he got. And I had listened to that before seeing Hellraiser 2 and before doing this podcast and then watching Hellraiser 2, I was just like, oh shit, that's where, that's where that sample's from, huh? And then There's something really satisfying about that neuron firing that connects those, the bridges, those two, whatever. I love f- coming across a sample that I recognize, yeah. Whatever the song was on the, on the way out of this film had a similar sort of cadence of, and I, I, I didn't recognize the, the song, but like, you know, this is what you want, this is what you got, this is what you want, this is what you got over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it, it ties together uh, structurally there too, which is nice. I, I, I listened to like no industrial music, uh, Grown up, um, and I mean, I, I guess I don't listen to it today either, particularly, but not out of some sort of like, uh, uh, just like there's only so much listen music that I get around to listening to, and industrial has not really practically been in there. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, like, yeah. yeah, stuff like Ministry and whatnot was always like completely. I, I knew one guy who was into KMFDM. I guess uh, is in sort of that territory, maybe, but I don't remember exactly. Was KMFDM really sort of industrial, or was it more of a? It was. It was in the territory. Sort of, I, yeah. Yeah. I you would find that like, on the same CD shelf that you would find Ministry and Nine Inch Nails. Like, I know there's probably, like, industrial purists, because, boy, if you talk about a genre with, like, a really sort yeah. of granular subgenre breakdown and people insisting that, you know, one particular thing is, like, the true industrial, it's, it's definitely one of those genres. So you'll get somebody there who will make the argument that KMFDM is, like, the farthest thing possible <laughs> from industrial music that has ever been recorded. Uh, I, the, I, I found out the, early on in high school that saying that uh, Nine Inch Nails was either industrial or techno was a good way to like really piss off non-Nine Inch Nails fans. But <laughs> I, I never learned any of the details. I just found out that fact was useful. Like if I really needed to throw a smoke bomb into a situation, <laughs> I could just shout, Nine Inch Nails is industrial music! And uh, probably you know create some cover to escape sure. in the darkness of... I think that's what Batman did a lot. He would just shout that, and then people were like, where'd he go? Oh, we spent the last five hours arguing with each other. He spent most of his time as Bruce Wayne in like, the underground music scene, developing bad opinions to have to freak yep. people out. He had an alter, alter ego, like you know Bruce Wayne, but with a scar and a bad outfit, and, and so no one would recognize him. Um, this movie, yes, right. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. 
Yeah, no, it's so, incoherent. Seems like the key word because, like, again, I didn't, I didn't like hate all the elements of this film or anything like that. You know, it wasn't just like you know, start to finish. No one should have had this idea, but it just it yeah. it does not keep its head. None of the, I don't feel like any of the characters was like consistent. No, like the characterization, not particularly. Yeah, they all sort of jump around. Like even even the presumably super one note, like creepy pervy neighbor villain ends up sort of writing these two roles of being like the super duper perv that we get way too much attention to establishing how much of a perv he is. And then when he shows up, he's still obviously a creepy perv and a neighbor with like neighbor with bad boundary issues. You don't really know what he's up to, but it's it's so much more banal. It's he he's like he becomes like puckish. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it, 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 you know what it reminds me of, sort of, in a, this does not get the flattering side of the comparison, is the film Happiness, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in there. Uh, did either of you see Happiness? I have not. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a Todd Solon's film, uh, which if you've seen any of his other stuff, you kind of have a sense of the weird, uh, dry, cynical, humanity is ugly and everybody's awkward uh, feel of things, but Philip Seymour Hoffman in that film, uh, you know, may he rest in peace, uh, was as a dude who called up women and said super dirty, you know, stuff on the phone to them. Uh, as I recall, basically sort of like random prank calling and sort of jerking off to it. Um, and then he ends up calling some character in the movie who's like basically flat out says, okay, well come over and fuck me. And uh, and then he's like uh uh and and then he does and he's like completely completely unprepared for the situation and it's all just depressing and sad and gross um, as I recall uh, it's been a while but anyway so so that that scene that none of you know about is like <laughs> this scene sort of except for this scene is much less effective and much worse so there I really feel like I gave some people some quality podcast right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like like the characterization of like, you know, the like really just seriously boundary crossing, like awful perverted dude as a guy that like in person is not after sex because he sort of clearly wasn't. He was much more after just creeping her out. Um, and then also, you know, giving himself a more of a vantage point to, to, to stalk her. Like, I think the characterization of, like, that kind of thing, where he's, like, in person, he is, you know, not after that, would be an interesting thing if it was intentional, as opposed to, I think, in this movie, it was a lot more, like, inadvertent. Yes. That these, you know, it doesn't, like, sort of comment on his behavior in any way. It's just, it's just sort of inconsistent. It's a weird sort of, like, reverse porno scene. Like, he shows up... And then we get exactly the incoherent, not particularly interesting banter that comes before the sex instead of – and, you know, yeah. if it was an extremely clever film, this would have been something designed in. But instead of just like I'm insulting the quality of that scene because it was bad like porno um, – And the character himself was kind of – I mean like – the, the aesthetic of many things in this movie is great, in my opinion. It's just really above uh, above bar or just – it was – yeah. And I think like even with him, like with the weird like thing with the see-through glove and the the almost like sniper scope type thing and the, 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 the collections of weird objects and his – the Hawaiian shirt, uh, just his whole thing worked, but the character didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree it was with pretty that. upsetting when any time he was on screen. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, good job filmmaking. Proto-MRA shit going on. 
but uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're right that he comes over and there's nothing. It does, it seems less lewd when he's in the room with her. It just seems more like, well, I you know, I I I'm attracted to you, and it's annoying that that isn't the only thing it takes for me to have sex with you. <laughs> kind yeah, of thing. yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And it, the movie lingered way too long on the him muttering under his breath while yeah. he's scoping yeah. through her window. It's just, yeah. it's just grating to watch. I mean, if, you know, and whatever, it's doing a thing. It's it's setting a character, but the the job is done <laughs> yeah. at a certain point in the movie. It's just having fun saying gross things for too long. Exactly. We got all this great, really bothersome, gross footage. We have. we we, we got to use it. You know, <laughs> right. quality stuff. You really got to. It was an amazing take. He was on fire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, her reactions to him are all over the board. Her reactions to all kinds of stuff. And that's that's where I'm going back to sort of like the also the filmmaker saw Aliens and Terminator thing. Because I feel like there's this there's this temptation to sort of do a Sarah Connor Ripley thing and do the strong female character thing that I think could have been really interesting if they'd run with it. But they sort of like waver back and forth between, well, should she be like a sort of standoffish, independent, creative type who's trying to figure out her own thing? And should you... Should she have her own, you know, sense of self, uh, or should she just like be really easily scared and just sort of cowering, and or should she be sort of weirdly shell shocked and and yeah, it's like they just like they had seven different moods for her to be in, and I feel like they just like threw a dart at the dartboard every you know ten pages of the script to pick which one it should be uh, right. instead of yeah. having a sense of this character like having. Uh, a rea- and how many fucking times in this film does someone have to maybe die, but they didn't really die? <laughs> and mostly it's a robot, and so you know we mostly didn't believe it because the film wasn't over yet. But uh, but yeah, I, I, she like clearly was going to be dead, except for wasn't like at least twice. I feel like yeah. like like when she couldn't get out, and it did the slow slow pan away from the doors from the other side as she screamed. That seems like that was really setting up a, and that was the end of that character. She didn't get out, sort of look. Like, like that was the feel I got from that scene. And it wasn't like right. a slam dunk, but it was like, in terms of film language, that really felt like the slow pan away with the screaming and the lack of egress is just saying, oh, it ended badly. Right. And then she's still inside and she's fine. And then she falls through the window in that stupid fucking power line scene. And, 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 and catches then the power line with both hands simultaneously. That's what was being implied there, right? I, yeah. Like, that's the only way you can grab a power line and not be electrocuted well, you, is if you, you grab it with both hands at the exact same moment. Well, you can grab like, it with one uh, and be fine, too. No, the, the thing is you need to not ground yourself. Like, you can grab it with one hand, two hand, whatever. You just need to not be touching the power line and also... Something well, you also else. can't. You can't like grab with one hand and then put the other hand on there. If you grab with one hand, I think you just have to hold on with that one hand. I, hmm. I don't because know that- otherwise, if you put the second hand on later, the power courses through you because you've made a uh, you've made you've closed the circuit. Yeah, but I think the, I the think. power line itself is still the much better circuit. Uh, we need to talk to someone who knows anything about, I guess, electrical engineering to resolve this question. But what about uh, where Moses Hardmo Baxter yells at her <laughs> and explains it all in one perfect sentence that I can't remember at all that didn't make any sense? Well, the, his his take was good. Like, he couldn't reach out on the ledge and grab her hand. Because right. then they'd be making a circuit between the wire and the ground. Or they'd be making a ground, and then then oh, there'd be a true. problem. Uh, but, uh, but, like, jump, jump, no, I can't jump, blah, 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 robot, grabby, grabby. And then yeah. something happens to the wire that causes her to, like, swing in the window. Robot, grabby, grabby, the alternate title for <laughs> yeah. hardware. Yes. <laughs> so th- I guess it breaks or whatever, and she 
swings down to well, the window. He keeps telling her to swing, but it's not really clear what he's instructing <laughs> her to do. Like, yeah. I did not understand what swing over there meant when she was, like, hanging off this thing. Yeah. Like, you know, off of it, like, when it was, like, you know, trapezed out. And maybe he saw that the robot was, um... Was what do you call it? Was was cutting the line? Because I couldn't figure happening? out what the robot. I think the robot was cutting the line. The I'm not entirely sure. Line from the robot side, she would have swung down the other way on the now Maybe she one-sided. Did, and the camera just inverted the thing. I no, because it was like she landed in the bu- apartment underneath with the angry did she? Uh, Chinese lady who kept hitting on the ceiling with a broom, which was I think the so funniest it must have moment. Broken in the film. off on the other side. Yeah, and so which makes no sense. Exactly. So this film, something in this film didn't make sense. We finally found something <laughs> that didn't make sense. Uh, One inconsistency. But the point is, she comes through that. However, the fuck physically that happened, she comes through it, crashes yeah. through the window, and the film does the same thing it done, just like a a looming slow pan out to establish like the stillness of the figure, and you know, it's like I I just feel like someone shot this film without being familiar with film. Like is yeah, it, it happens a times. third time in the shower too, where oh, she Jesus, crashes yeah. through the glass in like the shower really and lays like there un- unmoving for a minute. Yeah, I mean, if that happened in a music video, I think you'd be like, oh, whatever. It's you know, it's a music video. But when it happens in a movie, it's just so much more jarring. And I think maybe that's the other thing. This is like right around the 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 really like quick ascent of the the music video aesthetic you know 1990 mtv's yeah. been around for what like three years oh mtv Something was like, like 84 that. i want to say okay so about five six years but i mean for the first couple of years mtv had like three videos uh from what i remember they were just playing the same well maybe not years but anyway i think yeah like t- there really was a turning point so. where f- music videos often became little you know f- three minute short films i yeah. think and that's that's probably around the same time yeah yeah, and I, and I think this is like, like like that. Like, if this took place, if the, all of this took place over the course of three minutes, you wouldn't really <laughs> ask that many questions. <laughs> but it doesn't. It and I feel like they could have done it in about, if they really wanted to, they could have done it in, in, well, I mean, not three minutes, but I feel like they could have done this as like a 20 minute film and made it work. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I I I want to talk briefly. About- I like I like how they incepted a, um, a music video into the movie too, where it was like live footage of Guar <laughs> while Ministry was playing. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> that like, is that patchwork. what happened? Because I was just like, no, that's was- Guar, but that's the- and then I googled the lyrics. I'm like, that's not a Guar song. Yeah, no, that's Stigmata. That's a great Ministry song from Land of Rape and Honey. Um, but yeah, that's definitely Guar on the TV. Yeah, they, Stigmata has a video, but it's that's not it. They think Guar in the credits, but it wasn't listed in the the music credits. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any Guar music in it, but just they, you know, it's because it, it's a little bit of a Katamari movie of uh, like kind of like industrial uh, low low fi aesthetics too. So they just kind of like try and pick up. You know, here's this is what Guar looks like. <laughs> you know, this is what uh, some like uh, metalwork artists you know wall might look like. Plus, this. plus also Lemmy is a cab driver. Right, uh, who puts on Ace of Spades and talks about how these guys are great, which I thought I was a nice. I did not. Touch. I caught that that was Ace of Spades. I did not realize that was Lemmy. Oh yeah, that was Lemmy. That's Lemmy our boy talking about his own band. Yep. Um, in a pretty uh, <laughs> um, on the nose insert of like a you know a whatever two shots that don't do anything for the movie except for put him on screen. <laughs> Well, I think that cab joke. thing was pretty cool. It gave me, I, I, it, it was sort of like give me a bit of a like a Fifth Elementy vibe. The uh, yeah, the, that's true. The, the uh, 
it was a uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it was like just a regular yellow cab converted into a boat with like this really dinky on bo- uh, like offboard mo- uh, motor, and I, I think that was like a pretty cool like little thing. Yeah, was cool. Right, and moments like that are what this movie can do really well. And I think that like the most successful version of this movie just has a lot of that and um, doesn't have to necessarily have a great characterization or even a super compelling storyline. It just has to remain interesting in that way for an hour and a half to work for me, and it just kind yeah, of doesn't, unfortunately. Yeah. It, was not, it was not some sort of splendor, not some sort of exciting thrill ride of conceptualization and, and set dressing and whatnot. I mean, there's, there was neat stuff. There just wasn't a movie's worth, certainly, yeah. certainly not to carry this particular movie. I guess we should say for people who haven't seen the movie, this is not one of those pause the episode and go watch the movie movies. <laughs> it's okay if you never watch this movie, but I guess if it wasn't clear from context what we've said already, briefly, this is you know set in some non-specific post-apocalyptic future where... There's still civilization. There's still cities. There's people wandering around in the radiation belts and scavenging for stuff. But then there's it's, some semblance it, of a you know functioning civic government. Any of it took place. The only like I've narrowed it down to not New York. Like that's the that's that's the I think the biggest clue that I noticed that the that the you know movie gives to you because uh, Shades keeps talking about going to New York. So other than that, did anybody like really figure out where it was or even what country? Uh, I, I I had a general vibe that it was America-ish. It read as America to me, but you know that's beyond that. That, I didn't that really, doesn't necessarily yeah. mean anything. Yeah, which is interesting because there were several non-American characters. Um, so and yeah, the director is South African. Hmm. Nice pause. So yeah. uh, <laughs> catch that one in editing. <laughs> that, 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 that one. It's the tripod thing, like like trying to like I know I know how to read both of you in terms of like the back and forth, but I'm I'm uh, trying to figure out the space. It's, it's invigorating. It's it's like a it's like brought some spice back into our podcast marriage. Um, <laughs> oh third. god, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, this is this is more just like the the, the prequel, the the foreplay, if you will. Um, yeah. So so things things that uh. Things about this film that I liked. Uh, I thought some of the music was great. Like, there was mm-hmm. the otherwise super tedious robot stuff in the latter half of the film. There were some segments that had some really great sort of synthy, symphonic soundtrack stuff that I thought that was pretty rad. And I wish it was happening in a slightly better movie. Oh, I was, I was going to ask you about that because I found a lot of that stuff really irritating. I, it's possible I found some of it irritating and just forgot about those bits. But I think to some extent, by that point in the film, I was like, I'm going to finish watching this thing. And I need to help myself get through this. And I was like, "Hey, this music's pretty rad." Yeah, I, I, let's let's think about this music for a while. Um, like it's it's it, it was sort of heavy handed and like you know big in a way that I think could be really obnoxious. But in this film, it certainly wasn't detracting from anything. Okay. Um, like it, it does not have the sort of the subtlety of like disaster piece uh, in it follows, but it had some of that same sort of like that's. This felt right. like some of the lineage of some of that sort of particular synth texture and aesthetic uh, that makes stuff yeah, like that. There's a lot of really like well. the, the synth theremin kind of noises, um, and and I like those. And I think we that that we, we don't get a lot of that anymore. That particular kind of uh, like the sound in in a movie. Yeah, that may have sort of gone by the wayside a little. Uh, baby with bathwater, as it were. Um, 
I, there was a lot of beeping and booping in the movie, and the technology in this. <laughs> yeah, I, that, everything te- is loud. Yeah, everything's loud. Everything's kind of shitty, and it's it's interesting. I realize this is 1990 doing the future, and so it's not going to look a whole lot better than like 1981 or 1984 doing the future. But that's kind of a funny thing. Is like when Ridley Scott made Alien, like you know. He did a decent job of hitting sort of some industrial notes for like let's imagine computers in the future, but they were still kind of just shitty computers. Yeah, you know, and so it worked out okay. You know, like obviously those those things have dated themselves badly since then, but they they look good at least. And everything in this felt like sort of halfway between that and maybe sort of Brazil. And I don't know how much of that was intentional. Like I think they were trying to set it up as things are sort of janky and not great. And so in that sense, that all the computer stuff was janky and not great kind of works, but it, it also felt like it was just like actually just badly designed even as far as that goes. I think Brazil's probably a decent comparison. I mean, in a, in a great movie like uh, Alien or Blade Runner or whatever, it's a, a lot of the amazing kind of future uh, art direction set design technology stuff comes from, okay, well, what does it need to do? Okay, well, how would it do that? Okay, well, what would that look like in the future? As opposed to coming at it kind of the other way around, like, what should it look like? And then you kind of reverse engineer, okay, well, this must be how it works, if that's what we want it to look like, kind of stylistically. Yeah. And that's Brazil does a lot more of that, and I think hardware, again, kind of is sort of like a style Katamari, where it's just like, here's things that would look cool, right? Here's things we could put on camera that would be fun to look at if you're into this kind of, like, you know, rusted metal aesthetic and uh and and so i don't think there was any thought really given to the actual technology or actual you know under the hood stuff except insofar as they need a thing to say that that the door is trying to open so yeah. they put a thing on a little screen, yeah. a shitty crt screen that says the door is trying to open or whatever it um it really reminded me of, there was an episode of uh, the Simpsons where Homer decides to become an inventor to because he's inspired by <laughs> Thomas Edison and one of the things he invents it looks like a smoke detector and it's called the everything's okay alarm and it makes this like horrible <laughs> shrill noise as long as everything is okay and I feel like that movie has like a number of those in there yeah <laughs> like like why yeah. would you not have turned off the alarm sound on your like and and some, there's a little bit of, like can sort of defend maybe maybe some of the settings of stuff in this woman's apartment because uh, that's what we're mostly talking about. Like, there's yeah. other tech we see, but mostly a lot of the movie happens in her apartment, and a lot of the tech stuff we see is in her apartment as a result. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, there is sort of the defense that you know she makes a ton of noise as a matter of course. It appears like with her welding and artwork stuff. You know, she she and uh, Dylan McDermott both conspicuously sleep through some very loud noises. So the fact that she has a loud, blaring, blinking door entry alarm kind of could make sense there it's like okay you've got a better chance of noticing this thing given your lifestyle uh but i i feel like that might be giving a little too much credit to say that's why it's like that rather than just that's the aesthetic of the whole fucking film i mean they they made like a really big point of showing uh dylan mcdermott sleeping through an alarm and i'm still not sure why yeah i don't know either like and that's there's a lot of i don't know why in this film like they, they like they show the they they show a close up specifically of the decibel meter levels on her 1987 stereo i guess um to to establish that there's noisy things going on even though you can hear there's noisy things going on cuz the film is not a silent film uh and yeah he sleeps pointedly through some stuff she sleeps pointedly through some stuff and then eventually wakes up from some stuff 
And she she goes to sleep with like she passes out with a joint in her hand. And I really felt that that was like it's like all right, well now the apartment's going to be like on fire. But if <laughs> it isn't, like it just wakes her up when it burns down to like her fingers. I think. Yeah. And and that was like the only effect of it, which was just the you know really sort of strange to see about like somebody smoking in bed. There was right. there, there's a there's a few little smoking things in here. At one point, uh, uh, I, I don't remember who says to who, but someone says to someone. Uh, I think Dylan McDermott was involved. Uh, this doesn't matter because uh, the, the point is someone says something, well, you can make an ashtray out of it. And oh, I, yeah, yeah. That's and, when he gives her the head yeah. of the uh, of, uh, of the Mark, the, the Mark 13. 13. Is the Mark 13 the name of the robot? Yes. Or is it Ball? Well, I... I oh, God. I, both. I think it's... It is the Mark 13, and it may be codenamed Ball, and maybe it was Ball number 7534, or maybe they just like serial numbers. That was a that was a wordy fucking acronym, too. Like, yeah. Wait, it's, every the word robot's in, definitely Mark 13. Where does Ball come from? Did I miss something? Uh, when the, when, when the serial number, um, uh, the uh, when, uh, what's his name? The, the jerky uh, the mayor from Willow. Right. Oh, uh, is that who that was? That, I know, there's um, a, that was, was a callback, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> for Josh, for you and me, yeah. doing the Willow. Willow. Yeah, maybe. Did all were all his lines overdubbed? His like lips never quite seemed to match up to the cadence of the. It's every time he was talking, it seemed like it was dubbed from another yeah, language not, or something. I'm not sure. Did like, you get that? Which is funny. Uh, like I, I, I did get a sense of a little bit of offness there, but I don't know. Maybe he just ADR'd it because it was mic'd badly at the time. Because that, it, to to my recollection, he sounded like him. A lot um, of the dialogue felt like it was either ADR'd really weirdly or just, like, chopped together really awkwardly. Yeah. All, like, all the dialogue, it really felt like the whole thing was overdubbed from another language just while I was watching it. It was so disorienting. Um, I got you way off track there. I'm sorry. You, you started to say about the Mark 13 slash... Oh yeah, ball. the ball was like the uh, it was the description. So the uh, when um what's his name uh, Alvy uh, googles yeah. the uh, googles he whatever uh, <laughs> internal network researches the um, right he bings yeah yeah he bings it <laughs> um, and uh, yeah it comes up like ball is the acronym uh, it's serial number is ball and then it, the ball within that serial number is a acronym for some really like drawn out sort it's, it's sort of like shield in that bio like, all right, they really wanted to artificially ball. intelligent <laughs> automatically repairing life form it's like that 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 should have been like badiddle like you need some more fucking letters in your acronym yeah they explicitly hyphenated a lot of those words just to use the first letter yeah um but yeah, to make like it the, spell ball, which yes. isn't even that cool of a name. Well, it's like anymore. it's like a satany name, right? Or, you know, yeah, yeah, it ties in with all of the religious stuff that I felt like was leading up to something and never actually yeah. did. Like when he's dying and he says, "Just like, oh, I can't die. I'm divinely protected." I'm like, "Are we going to get like angels in this movie? Is that what's happening?" But no, that's not what happened. He was just hallucinating as he died. Um, and then he hallucinated himself reading the Bible to her. I guess I, I, was, I didn't know if that was a hallucination or a callback. Entirely sure what yeah. happened? Yeah, because like it's clearly echoing the slightly earlier scene in the film where he was with. Because uh, here's the thing: he in that later scene where we see him reading from the Bible, he also has no robot hand. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, uh. and 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 it's the by shot the of way, he's got a robot really hand. similar. Uh, yeah, he's got a robot hand. By the way, <laughs> I, at first I really thought maybe he was just wearing some sort of desert dweller power glove. And then it became clear that no, that's really, really his hand. 
uh, when he was grabbing on her in the shower. Uh, right, or could, he could just like his power glove that much that he has to wear it into be, the shower. Can I can I say just briefly? Uh, this really kind of struck me. If you're like been wandering the desert wastes for so long that you get a cold reception when you finally show back up, uh, and you're that caked with dirt. Wouldn't you maybe just take a quick maintenance shower first and then the sexy shower? Like he was, <laughs> he was filthy. Like he was just like he was like covered in like dirt and shit and shoe polish and grease. He was. Th- this is not someone who like you know had visible skin for the most part. Maybe it's. Uh, I mean, it is post-apocalyptic. Maybe there's only like so much water that you have rationed that, like, if you want to fuck in the shower, you either have to do it while you're also like scrub, like you know, scrubbing <laughs> off the caked on like tar off of you. Yeah, but she wasn't even. Of- she wasn't even doing a good job of that. Like, she was just clearly making out with him. Like, yep. So, so I reject even. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dissatisfied with her character's attendance to the dirt situation. Uh, clearly, that's that's a huge, important character motivation in this film, as we can take from the thesis and the subtext of this finely crafted story. Um, it is how they kill the robot, though. It is. And boy, yep. did they take their time reiterating <laughs> that. Like, this is another sort of short story thing that if this had actually been like a setup and a knockdown, you know, four pages apart, okay. But like anybody in the audience who was like, oh, wait, water's a problem just needs to just a kick in the butt because oh my gosh they probably like four or five six times something like that like to the point where i was expecting her to for some reason take her weird pot of tea or whatever and chuck it at the robot yeah what (laughs) what was that doing in the movie i don't know it was just it would look like it was just twigs inside of a coffee maker pot yeah it's like the future man that's that's future tea that's how it is okay I was assuming maybe it's going to turn out to be some sort of like drug thing, but they just. I no mean, it idea might. As, it it, who, how do you know it's not? Everything else is. Well, yeah, I, right. like, yeah. We she's don't got know like, it's not. Um, yeah. Like at first, I thought it's like, wow, that cigarette's burning funny, and then like you know, when pervert guy confirms that like the pack of cigarettes she has is a pack of joints, I was like, huh. And then um, what's Good his vibes. name? Uh, Shades. You know, take ritual somehow like it ritually takes a tab of acid. But it's not really clear whether he made up that ritual or if that's an actual thing he's doing. But then he just ends up like he has a bad time in this movie. I feel bad for him. I know that's a bad trip, huh? Yeah, it's that's just like imagine if you just you know you, you you took some acid, you're hanging out, and then your friend's just like, "Hey, there's a killer robot. You gotta help me." <laughs> I, I'm just surprised that like Dylan McDermott wasn't like, "Ah, oh, fuck," and hang up after like ten yeah. seconds. Like I understand he was. Upset yeah, they and dragged that out. Help, but didn't it's like, they? It's, he would be back at the apartment by the time you know they spent so much time on the phone trying to yeah. cajole the guy. Well, into maybe just if, going. maybe if he had a mobile phone because like in the future they would have those. But the post-apocalypse, I guess. Uh, yeah, no cell towers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right, and then right. This is another. This How? is one of a couple of major points in the movie where the movie just decides it's a new movie, and <laughs> it, like he shows up, and there's like all of a sudden there's these two security guys who haven't been in the movie up until this point. Shades is there, and it's like well, the, all of a sudden the, the cast guys, has just been reset. The security guys had briefly been in there, specifically the the younger guy with the headband had talked to her on the phone early on when she was like, yeah, ah, that guy's at my door. Well, did you see him? No. Well, then how do you know it's a guy? Right. Like, so there was briefly that, and then later we see his, like, 
command. Right, to do. but which was there only to like put his face on camera before, but yeah. it's like he, they serve no purpose up until this yeah. point. And or later. And they're all. Right, or at any point in the movie except to make the guy who's uh, tripping have to watch a guy bisected by a door. Yep. Yep. And, um,. Yeah, I mean, they're just fodder. They're for, for special effects, I think. Right. They're just like, all right, we need to kill somebody, but we don't have enough characters. Let's find a couple of black guys. <laughs> um, the, the, the bisecting thing, so the, the guy gets bisected by the door, which is uh, whatever. It's ridiculous, but it's kind of funny. At that point, I was like, okay, I'll take it. I'll take cutting a guy in half just for the hell of it uh, in a way that otherwise does not serve the film at all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but then later, the robot cuts someone else in half but for no apparent reason. Like, I don't think we got any follow-up there either. Like, he yeah. just cut one of the dead people in half, and it was not even super clear what was happening, except for it seemed to be Yeah, yeah, he was mutilating torso. corpses for yeah. no, no yeah. apparent reason. Here, I really, really got the idea that this movie was going... So, and, and especially because it starts with the, whatever, Mark 13 line, no flesh shall be spared, if I'm remembering yeah. it right. Yeah. So he... I really thought that the the premise was intended to be that the robot is like being taken apart and destroyed and attacked and it's rebuilding itself from human parts and then by the end it would be this unholy human robot hybrid thing yeah. which has been done to to pretty good effect in a couple of movies but uh, that's the only thing that makes any of that stuff make sense because he's like he keeps like being destroyed and then rebuilding himself and then it keeps cross-cutting with like him taking parts of bodies apart and stuff but it never actually like comes c- congeals into the idea it seems like or maybe i'm i'm wrong no i think i i, I kind of wondered about the same thing i was actually disappointed that like the robot didn't consist particularly of her sculpture like right. I was hoping like, yeah. it was going to be modern art on the rampage or something instead of just like, oh, I'll just pull my head out of where it yeah. apparently wasn't yeah. attached at all anyway because all that welding was for other stuff. Yeah, like she had made basically like a enormous Christmas wreath out of just junk metal and Barbie dolls that she the, – the, there's a there's a scene where she um, like has a bunch of uh, like children's dolls, like Barbie dolls and like some other kind of dolls of like a different sort of body shape. Uh, like all tied up together, and then she uses a torch on. She puts them in a vice, and she uses a welding torch on them to kind of melt them. And like at some point, she's just like, "Okay, good, done." And it really reminded me of that scene in um in uh, what do you call it in Spinal Tap, where uh, he starts playing the guitar with the violin, and then stops for a second to tune the violin. <laughs> uh, where it's just like, I don't know how you pick that moment to stop or what you're doing. Can we talk about how no one in the film was likable? Yep. Because, I mean, maybe maybe either of you felt differently about anyone in the film. I like Shades. I I would have liked Shades better if we'd gotten an opportunity to see Shades do more. But I will say, he, I think he was the only character who I found, like, legitimately sympathetic to a degree. Like, it doesn't help that they set him up as, like, a super fucking obnoxious motor mouth in his introduction to the film. Uh, yeah, he's definitely, like, the... the uh, like a Ratso Rizzo kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. But it turns out he actually takes an interest in Jill's work. And yeah, there's... Seems, I do not understand the nature of the relationship between Jill and Shay. I feel like maybe they're just actual normal friends. But and, they seem so awkward around each other. Like, they, like they, the way that they interacted, like the first scene that they have together when... Uh, Mo and uh, Shades show up at her apartment um, unannounced. 
like they they like they greet each other's door and says like oh hi hi like they had maybe like slept together the night before or something but it was clearly like not creeped out but not entirely yeah. comfortable around each other yeah I I my so my take on shades I think maybe like he has a crush on Jill and their friends and maybe anything that, ever happened yeah. maybe something didn't maybe the awkwardness is just them being a little bit awkward maybe there's a little bit of mutual attraction there but also Mo is totally her guy and so them showing up together is just like to whatever extent either is aware of it it also makes them a little bit stiff but the thing is like I felt like in that opening interaction between her and Mo and Shades it felt like Shades was lapsing into having a normal actual conversation with her when there was space between her glowering at Mo. Like she was like really it seems like her attention was significantly on refusing to give Mo the time of day and then also accidentally having a normal friendly conversation to some extent with Shades. Uh yeah, so it's weird like like it feels like there could have been like this character relationship there established a little bit more of some sort, but I don't yeah, I don't know exactly what they were hoping for there. I, you just want to make him into a good guy when you're watching him because the lead is so, like, irritating <laughs> yeah. to watch. So you kind of just want to grab onto somebody to be your audience insert character. <laughs> yeah, well, it feels like the relationship between Mo and Jill is just like this sort of, like, these are two people in an established, shitty relationship. They obviously don't yeah. get along very well. They obviously don't particularly like each other or take an interest in each other things. You know, they, they, they get together... Uh, they mess around and then they're just sort of grumpy the next morning, you know. But it's not an interesting movie about a bad relationship and where it goes. No. It's just he's the apparent lead, she's the apparent lead, and they have a bad relationship, but also some sex. And yeah, I mean, I think it was supposed to be like maybe like like like, like the the grittiness of the movie extends to the relationships, the relationship between like the the two of them, and it just doesn't work yeah like in in an in an entertaining way yeah like i'm sure there's you know i'm I'm sure it is an accurate representation of some kind of a relationship but it definitely doesn't work in the way the movie intended it to which was that like you know they're supposed to have some sort of like very deep connection it just seemed like they were annoyed by and attracted to each other maybe the film is a really really off-brand uh future state interpretation of the what-if question of if Lisa Nelson had kept dating. Remember the yeah. episode where Lisa Nelson... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should make clear is the point of reference. Like, you know, it's like they don't really have anything in common, but they're sort of interested in each other, and then, you know, just significantly recast the characters and, you know, give it 10, 15 years or whatever, and boom, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a real solid theory. I feel good about that one. Uh, can we talk about uh, recasting this film? Because I, there was a number of people who was like, you know, but what if they'd just done this? And going back uh, to Shades, one of my thoughts there is like, what if Shades had been played by Jeff Goldblum? Oh, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, that, um, I was thinking Seth Green, but yeah, Jeff Goldblum would be. Seth Green could work too. Seth Green would have done a better job in theory, you know, if whatever the writing and directing allowed it, I think of bringing in some, some of the weird nebbish nervous energy sort of paradox of the character but yeah jeff goldblum as like you know you know he'd he, steal he the movie he and would. then you'd be mad that he's not in the rest of the movie well yeah but i'd be so happy to see someone steal the movie i don't think i would have cared i'd be like yes no please run the fuck off with it uh, <laughs> you know both 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 like the sober and the the high bits would have worked well uh with him, I think. Yeah, I think he would pull that off. What was Jeff Goldblum doing in 1990? When did The Fly come out? 
89? vicinity. Let me all IMDb him. 87, 89? I think that would have been good good timing for him. I mean, he would have been older, I guess, a little bit. But a little bit, not but that well, much it's, older. Yeah, I mean, Shades, I'm not sure if Shades was supposed to play young so much as they just got some guy who was sort of young looking. Sure. Um, Jurassic Park well, was in the, the In the sense that he's the, kind of the, the toady to the lead, I guess he's supposed to play a little bit younger. What oh. about, uh, what's his name from uh, The Prophecy? Oh, uh, uh, Marty McFly? What? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember really uh, crossing Eric your Eric universes Stoltz? a little bit. <laughs> Eric Stoltz? Is that who you're No, no, oh, okay. no, no. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew Hammer. Um, oh, what is his name? Oh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, yes, that guy. Yeah, I would have bought that. I, uh, what is this? Adam Goldberg. Yeah. I think that would have worked kind of. Yeah, no, he could have been okay. He would have been a little bit more slime ball Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. Um,. Apparently, in 1990, uh, Jeff Goldblum was in Mr. Frost. Uh, he was also in a TV movie called Framed as Wiley. Uh, he made an appearance on Sesame Street, but mostly what he was doing was playing voice acting verminous scum on Captain Planet and the Planeteers. For scale. Uh, yeah. Several episodes of that, apparently. They all got uh, paid uh, scale for that. All the... That that show had like a lot of big time celebrity voices on it, um, and they all took like the least amount of money they could. About which I'm sure they are all thrilled in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did save the planet, the the TV show. So true, you know. I mean, that, and that's important. So yeah. Anyway, so so Goldblum. The other thought I had there, and this is sort of an obvious you know aesthetic pick, but if we're just going to pick someone who's not going to do anything super interesting with the role anyway, and it's going to be some sort of vaguely you know. Uh, British territory. Bono. Let's put Bono in the film as shades. He has his own shades. Like he, <laughs> right. they wouldn't even, he wouldn't even go and save a few bucks on the shades. Exactly. You know, <laughs> they could have thrown a little like some some embarrassing attempted at industrial music by U two on the soundtrack and part of the mix. And I'd like the entire movie to just be played by Bono in different <laughs> roles as like a weird passion project of his. Like always since like since back when they were still like trying to get. Well, I guess in the, I mean in 1990 they're already they're pretty fucking big, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, 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 but yeah, maybe like in 1990 he saw this movie and he's just like, when I get even more rich and powerful, I'm going to make this entirely starring myself in every role. I think, and uh, then uh, yeah, I think that would be amazing. I think if I had as much money as Bono did, I'd spend some on it making Bono do that. <laughs> I'd like to see Bono star in every role in recreations of several classic films. <laughs> Just really explore Gone with his the range. wind. Yeah, just a whole lot of whole lot of green screening, and, and <laughs> he'd keep trying to work music in it. You know, like the whole project would actually be to see when he would crack when he wasn't allowed to put any of his music into any of them. Uh, <laughs> everything else would be a smoke screen. Uh, so, also the, the the pervy neighbor Newman. Like I think, like, oh, uh, like I feel like yeah, get Wayne Knight in there. Let like like I feel like he could have killed that. Uh, the only downside is you know. Uh, I'd feel more badly about Wayne Knight, but uh, but he—it's he, not like he hasn't played a bunch of unsympathetic characters. So like, because uh, Jurassic Park, I guess there's the connection. I mean, there. that, that like, could very well right. be the character from Jurassic Park on his off day in a post-apocalyptic universe. Exactly. Or literally, what it's like inside Newman's apartment on Seinfeld. You know, maybe a little <laughs> bit of both. 
I I probably wouldn't recast that particular guy. I thought it's you know he had nothing to work with, but I yeah, he did, no, he did a fine job. That guy really. did fine, and know. so did the makeup folks. You know, it didn't yeah. need recasting. I just you know, once I'm on I a do, roll, I do sympathize with your yearning though for like a at least one kind of oversized character, like a Jeff Goldblum something. Yeah, to, yeah just to kind of have something to look at, you know, or something to just like underplayed. move the movie in some way or have a little more fun with. There was a movie that came out in 1995 called Death Machine and bears a lot of similarity <laughs> to hardware. Um, but they ca- they wisely cast the main villain, uh, uh, Brad Dourif, um, who's one of my very, very favorite actors. He's the... Do um, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, I, wait, it, so he I just gets to ham... A- a- like to Peter DeVries. Oh, Okay. AKA voice of Chucky in Child's Play, and he's the um, the like lizardy uh, guy in uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Who's I can't Wormwood? What's his name? I forget. Wormtongue. Wormtongue. Yeah, that sounds um, like a name of a trustworthy guy to. Yeah, right. But he they when you give that guy and his like amazing delivery, just like put him in the middle of the movie, and he just gets to ham it up to ten million percent and chew scenery like that. The movie can kind of revolve around it and i think that hardware could have used something like that because something to you know to pin the movie on in yeah. a certain way something to just be looking at because i think that um not to go off on a whole rant here <laughs> is it okay to rant i was i was gonna make a, a boner metaphor so i think you should definitely just go for it let's <laughs> oh, so save, just, let's save us why, from did, why me. don't you just slip it in why don't you just slip in your boner metaphor if 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 the movie's like just a limp towel, you want like at least maybe some big you know standout feature to drape it over comically. Well, yeah, I think that's actually sort of similar to what <laughs> I, I mean, was going to say. We've all hung a towel. <laughs> Is it the movie? I was going to say the movie doesn't have a skeleton. It just doesn't. I mean, it's it's the movie I would have made in 1990, except that you know I would have been what like a teenager, yeah. right? So um, yeah, in your defense, you would have been you know young enough to have made a bad movie and people would say oh but you really tried right <laughs> right because it's a it's so much uh, i mean the writers if there were a writer's room on this movie it would just be like six guys uh sitting around saying like oh you know what would be cool we should put this in the movie yeah what if there was or, you know what, what would be cool like- if we added a cameo from lemmy or you know what would be cool is if she was like an artist like this girl i really am into in real <laughs> life and she does these crazy welding things and you know it's just so much you know what would be cool which carries the first third of the movie right it's fun it's yeah. fun because i was there in that place and time well, and i think and because i really cared there. about that aesthetic and that yeah. style and i felt like that you know i didn't feel like my kind of like what i thought was cool was really ever in movies and so something like this was actually now i'm defending this movie <laughs> something like this showing up on the screen was fun to see because it's like this is cool this is the music i'm into this is the aesthetic i'm into these are cameos i care about um so it, it, that, but that you only get so far with that. You need the movie to be a movie after that, right? <laughs> it needs to continue being a movie. And as it has nowhere to go and nothing to do, it just slowly gets more and more into this like flickery seizure-inducing nonsense that doesn't 
like where where nothing is propelling the movie forward. Nothing's happening. There's no one we it, care about. Get- and it's just like flash cuts of the eye of the hole in the artwork where the head used to be of the screen with the circuitry in the apartment, I guess that was of and it's all just like this strobing nonsense for like forty minutes the second forty minutes of the movie. And yeah, so it it just kinda it runs out of its its it it, it burns all its fuel right away and then forgets to have anything interesting in the in the back half. What to be clear, was that the rant or was that just a, a preview? No, that's the whole okay, rant. Okay. I, I, just, I just, I just, I just thought it was a movie without a skeleton, which was a shame because I would have. It's the kind of movie I wanted to want to like a lot. It's yeah. the kind of movie I wanted to tell all my friends was the coolest movie of the decade. Yeah, I, I could I could imagine the movie that I would have been like super fucking thrilled about that this movie could have been. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so yeah. And, well, it's interesting because, like, you, as we've established earlier, the one who actually has potential, like, you know, feelings from it that were contemporary to it, since we're both coming to this cold. Oh sure. <laughs> and I think that makes a difference. Like, you know, I mean, I certainly like we've we've rewatched a couple things that I saw years ago, and then I sort of come back to it after the fact and said, oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this that uh, somehow doesn't stand up to my glittering childhood memory of it. Sure. Uh, but, uh, and to, to be clear, I didn't love it then either, but I really wanted to. Yeah. And, it, and it does. I love that it exists because it sort of is a time capsule of that, of 1990, of this one particular kind of like aesthetic and culture and style th- thing that just seemed like it was uh, on the cusp. Well, where were we? Where were we? Uh, <laughs> we've talked about the... the Film's incoherence. We've talked about uh, potential. A- any other potential recasts? Kylie Minogue as um, Jill. I would buy because. it. Yeah, why not? There, 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 there are several other people with uh, complicated British Empire accents. Why not throw Kylie in there and get the Australian contingent? She's Australian, I think. Am I remember right? I think maybe. I anyway, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I think. She I think. Is, yeah. Maybe um, oh, as uh, in, instead of Dylan McDermott, um, what's his name? The uh, uh, mm. well, with the film the as shot, literally crossing. anyone. Oh, uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, that would have been. I mean, it probably would have been just as much of a disappointment. But yes, I could see that. Yeah, I kind of feel like I you, like that. Yeah, you could replace Dylan McDermott with just about. Any, but like I don't have a real super strong sense of what I think Dylan McDermott's great at, but he's been good in stuff. Uh, I don't feel like there was a really Dylan McDermotty stamp on. You know, it's bugging me the whole time I watch this. Did have either of you watched uh, Hemlock Grove? I think Yakov, you said you haven't. I have not. No, I have not. Okay. Yeah, well, it's werewolf and sort of some vampire stuff, but primarily werewolfy. It's 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 kind of a neat show. I like it. Uh, But it's like the Eli Roth. Amazon Prime project? Uh, is that where it came from? Uh, maybe. Sounds sounds possible. It was based on a book by a, a guy who wrote a book. Uh, huh. <laughs> who of all people? <laughs> yeah, no, crazy. Well, I read the book this summer, and it was actually it was a nice little read, and very closely resembled the first season of the the show. But uh, I'll I'll look up the guy here. Uh, I'm typing IMDb into IMDb's search bar. <laughs> Way I, to go! <laughs> yep, uh, we but, are old officially. <laughs> I'll look it up. There's there, there's a the male one of the main characters in it uh, is 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 who Doug Ray Scott is his name. Which I do not know his name. He's apparently Scottish. 
He's been in other things. He was Stuart St. John in Taken 3. Uh, and yeah, I, I, he's not been in a bunch of stuff that I could really name out, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. Anyway, this is now a terrible story, but basically Dylan McDermott sounded so much like this guy in Hemlock Grove throughout the film, and I couldn't figure out who he sounded like. because like, what have I seen? I've never seen Dylan McDermott in this exact same role in anything that I've seen. Uh, you know, he was on the first season of uh, American Horror Story, uh, and and oh, he's yeah, great yeah, in that. That's like a very that. very different character. Uh, I think he's on uh, two seasons of it. He's also in the uh, Asylum season. Oh yeah, he comes back as like is. yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, you know, he, he was fine in those, but yeah. Anyway, end of terrible story about that guy you don't know from that show you haven't watched. Uh, but there is a weird sort of like uh, parallel in sort of cadence and delivery, I think, in, in Dylan McDermott in this film and that guy in that show 20 years later. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> do you guys do you guys have anything else about the film? Like, I, I, I admit, I knew there were going to be three of us, so I didn't take notes because I was like... I took a little bit of notes and then I, I just, I was like, what am I taking notes on? Yeah, um, why, why, not just, why not just drink some beer instead? Basically I did take the of. least amount of notes that I've ever taken for one of these um, during this movie. I find that happens a lot on this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I got two little things. Uh, one is, um, I thought that uh, Iggy Pop as the radio host was um, kind of foreshadowed Three Dog from Fallout 3. Yeah, heavily. yeah, kind of. And I, I wonder if that was a the deliberate... Man with the industrial dick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, you know, I, I feel like they just said, hey, can we get Iggy Pop to do this? Like, yeah, they let him do it. And they was like, okay, that's probably the take. Uh, right. Like, it wasn't bad, like, but it was he also... Act in it? No. <laughs> he will record something onto a tape and mail it to you. <laughs> right. it, was, it was it was fine, but it just felt like like as a character we never get any other view of. It just felt like a, uh, overdone and underdone at the same time. He just time. walked into Iggy Pop's house on a random day with tape rolling <laughs> yeah. and then just walked up to him and he was just in the middle of doing that and then they just got as much as they needed and they walked out of his house and then they sent him a check. Yep. <laughs> Uh, or it was like the uh, when Krusty was recording the uh, the voice acting things, and he just <laughs> rattles them off one oh, after yeah. the other into the mic and walks out. <laughs> yep. All right, Krusty, we're ready to. Where'd he go? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I sort of thought of the three dog from Fallout Three as well, and then and then we never saw or heard or tied anything into that character. It was just like a guy on yep. the radio a couple times. In really pointed voiceover scenes. Yeah. And I mean, he delivers the, like, dun-dun-dun ending, which right. was a lot less effective than I think <laughs> they thought it would be. Because yeah. I was just like, they were just like, uh, he was, uh, oh yeah, yeah, he said that, you know, the Mark 13 robots are going to be put into full production, and you were definitely supposed to go like, oh no! And I was just like, I do not care in the least. Yeah. They can kill all of these people you have not like the, the movie completely failed at like making me sympathetic for anyone or anything that happens in that universe. Right. They well, I don't think they can kill any of these people because this is one of the least effective killing robots <laughs> in the history of every killing thing <laughs> I really in liked, every movie ever. I, I mean, it's it has to it, yes, I mean, it's a literally robot and a it, chimpanzee with a gun would be more <laughs> effective at killing people than this robot that, was, what, that just has to like at first, it, like, stalks you for a super long time. Like, I mean, it's the first time it's animate, it's standing over her sleeping body. 
And if its number one goal is to kill her, why is it like ta- like reaching out and then pulling back and then doing this yeah. whole thing? And then and it goes like after the her mattress once she's clearly off it. It's like, oh, I'm going right. to fuck up this feather bed. And then, like, its its ultimate weapon is that it has to, like, literally dig these giant fang-like, uh, you know, uh, syringe head syringes into your body and then let you slowly die over the next 30 minutes. Like, that's its ultimate weapon. It's the Yeah, most- like, why not just a guy that shoots you with one of those? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really not that afraid of this thing going into mass I like, production. I, li- I like that one of its big moves in the movie was to spend, like, literally it must have been a half an hour hiding behind some blinds. <laughs> some blinds that themselves are hung like three or four feet away from the windows so that there's room for a giant killer robot behind them. Yeah. Which I mean, that's yeah. why I hang my blinds. Yeah, like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, did not seem like a very good killer robot, and, and which is a shame because I do kind of want it to kill everyone. It had that giant sort of like <laughs> that drill that seemed super ineffective, except for the one time it killed one guy. Otherwise, it was just used for close-ups of looking vaguely like a dick. Right. I couldn't tell where the drill was coming from, could yeah, you? I mean, yeah. where on its body... There was I a mean, lot not- of really close detail shots, I think, to help them get away from having to have a functional full-size robot model. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. Is- it was dead. Like, there was there was definitely, like, a couple of, like, pretty... Not, like, tight close-ups, but just regular close-ups, where it was just like, oh, no, this, like, amorphous, you know, thing where that anything could get... St- anything can stick out of it, you know, is about to be here. You know what I noticed on it? And then you have th- this... I saw this maybe, like, it was a thing in movies in mid to late 80s, like, around RoboCop, um, and then you just never see it again, which was, like, the comp- like the computer interface that's a big spike. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, RoboCop had one of those, and, um, you know, I think I've seen it in a couple of other movies, and in this movie, you know, it looks like the arm would be connected to the rest of the body with, like, a spike sort of thing. Um, although when it does actually need to access a computer, it sits in front of it and types... Which was, you know, hey, you're like, you're already a robot. I can't imagine why you have to, like, actually type commands into it. Right. Luckily, to kill someone with the door, it just has to hit the space bar, because it yeah. doesn't have very dexterous hands, <laughs> otherwise. We mentioned the whole networking with the house thing, and that did make no sense to me. And partly, I don't understand where... What they were even trying to the, do. Well, yeah. I, well and, yeah. and you've got Dylan McDermott talking, and it wasn't clear to me whether Dylan McDermott was... Like, presumably at some point, the house recorded him and sampled that and kept that on hand so they could play it back. But they're like. But it was thinking, but he was thinking all of that. His mouth was clearly not moving, and even the captions read yeah, in his yeah. head. So was he somehow, like, you know, tied into the robot? Or See, I, this this was another thing that I assumed was the robot was supposed to be, like, taking on see, their body kinda, parts and brains yeah. and personalities. And I thought in some maybe way. she was And that's why it was trying to torment her with the lines from the other characters in the movie at the end, was because it was supposed to have somehow like absorbed them into itself but, but then it just, also was repeating that there's a fault stuff and it's raining stuff which was clearly some a- yeah. attempt to obliquely hint at dump water on this thing so if it was that thing why would it be yeah the, the fucking it was a dang mess but i also wanted to say one other thing i meant to say earlier we were talking about the robot and the mobility and the fact that it wasn't clear how it got around but one of the themes not shown on camera with the robot but established in like the documentation about it and thematic references like her pet spider is the idea that it was supposed to have a bunch of legs like it it had like you know in theory like eight limbs or something so I think in a movie where they had the budget to do this I think the thing would have been like skidding around on, on, on freaky like robot spider legs or something and maybe the implication is that that was what was happening we'll just never show it on 
right. screen and establish it because that would be expensive. I don't know. Right, or it just didn't come out good when they shot it, and they had yeah. to kind of leave it on the cutting room floor, and instead fill all those scenes with uh, <laughs> the exact I, same three shots of the eye opening up, and then the <laughs> thermal vision, and then the yep. it just it, the movie was like a record skipping for the last third. But I feel like everything that uh, the fly did right about keeping certain things like out of view and certain things in view, and only holding like the full thing in frame. For brief moments, everything that movie did right, this movie did wrong. This is like right. this is like Cronenberg on the other end of the wormhole, <laughs> like in the universe where he's a shitty, shitty director. Right. Uh, it's really. I mean, every movie after Alien had to do the same thing, where you slowly reveal the monster one little piece at yeah. a time until you get the full view of it. It was such a relief in the last shot of this movie, where it's like the she and the robot are both in like a lit room, one <laughs> lit lit room in the entire wasteland. So, and it's just like a relief to my eyeballs. It just was like a glass of water in the desert. Oh, we should know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like a part of the movie where whatever the thing does to the lights in her house, it makes it go from pitch black to bright red to dark blue, and then just <laughs> alternate between those, which are you know, if you're if you're trying to alert yourself to look at something, that's probably the one of the worst ways to do it outside of, I don't know, just, like, the thing just flashing a blight ru- blight, bright light directly, like, into her eyeball. Right. It was like all of those super Ill- irritating Doom 1 levels where the lights are all <laughs> flickering colors yep. constantly, and you can never fucking tell where you are or what's going on. Remind me, was, was, was it Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the Doom movie? Yes, he was. All right. I, I feel like I should watch that again. It's a, Literally I, talking I about a bad video a game lot. movie is more entertaining than this film in my mind, apparently, at this point. Uh, I think my Hail Mary to save this movie... Well, two. One is, they just really need to shoot things so you know what the fuck is going on. And that's yeah. that applies to the robot and the characters. Like, actually shoot it so you know where it is and what it looks like and what it's doing at any given moment. Because you never can tell what it's even doing at any given moment. And, like, at least, like, treat the camera with some sanity. But also the space. I mean, did you ever have any sense of where in the room either of them were? Or, like, what, like, how close one thing was to another? Or any physical sense of space yeah, at no, all I in this apartment? I don't know how big the apartment was, yeah. how high the ceilings are. I have no idea. Yeah, the apartment so it was just, like, meaningless images. Because you never know what's going on. Yeah. Or where anything is. Or where anything is in relation to anything else. I, or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. did, however, see repeatedly, thanks to this movie, a blueprint of the apartment <laughs> like as useless as it could possibly be i thought that was a picture of a circuit board until the last 17th time that it showed it i'm like oh that's supposed to be an aerial of the apartment but that's yeah. not what the apartment looks like there's walls in it and, and it had doesn't that, have any internal walls it definitely had that we paid for this effects shot yeah. feel to us like so we're gonna use it a few times let's just keep yeah okay so one thing we didn't talk about like at all and this goes back to the sort of jokes about casting is the framing device of the film with the the guy wandering in the desert and finding the stuff and then at the end we see him walking off in the distance who had uh, no reason to be in the movie why yeah, couldn't yeah. why couldn't hard mo moses baxter be the one to yeah, find yeah, the robot yeah. and then I, the I movie like is exactly like huge, the same the, the the opening to this movie is just it's so um what do you call it not like not not really plotting but like so focused and it's like almost silent and you know there's these very like it's red and black visuals you know this two color thing and you know very slow very uh all the movements are intentional and like then the character just walks off 
Like, the character does that, you know, sells the stuff to Dylan McDermott, who just showed up with his, you know, fast-talking friend and walks off, and we don't see him again until the very end for no reason that I can figure out. And at the end, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm assuming it's the same guy, because it was not, we didn't get a front shot. Uh, I, I kind of almost thought we were going to pull a sort of Sarah Connor thing, and it would be... Like Jill had decided to like give up on this city living and go out in the zone herself because of some sort of weird, complicated set of feelings and maybe a hmm. debt to Mo and so on. Uh, right. And and maybe that was even her. Maybe you could just decide it was. Maybe it is a yeah, mystery. That works for me. But uh, I like that. But I kind of don't think so. I kind of yeah. think it was just that dude again. And that dude. Let's let's be clear. That was totally Slash, right? They just like hey, let's oh, have Slash wander around. I thought it was, thought it was Al Jorgensen with his top hat. Al yeah. Jorgensen. From Ministry. Oh, okay. See, again, he has I, a lot more of the like the like ratty dreadlocks and dangly bitsy whatsits and ah. facial piercings and like welding goggles and stuff aesthetic. I was just going with the sort of the hat. I mean, yeah. it's not quite a top hat, but it's a post-apocalyptic feature, so it probably got shorter. But uh, but yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> that's what happens when the bombs go off. Top yeah. hats get shorter. Yeah, the, the, the concussive wave shortens all the hats. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Brit- British, uh, like, like you know, flat caps uh, were are proof of a uh, like a, like 18th century nuclear explosion that nobody knew about because uh, they didn't know what those were. Uh, they just thought it was a really windy day. Um, yeah, no, uh, I I, I kind of liked that early little bit of the film. I liked that first few minutes to an extent. Like I didn't think it was necessarily amazingly done, and it had some of the same "what's the focus and what's the coherence here" thing. But at least it was like it was really striking, like. They really aggressively went for that red palette. I was like, hey, this is taking place on the planet on the far side of whatever the weird gate things were in Phantasm. This yeah. Is, this is the yeah. red Phantasm planet. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, and from there, the fact that they did nothing with that character, we have no idea who that character is. He's just some random zoner, but not in an interesting way, in a we'll really give this some camera time and then drop it off the fucking edge of a cliff way. It's like, mm-hmm. eh, why do that? Why not just... And maybe that was something that, like, was really great in, again, the story. Like, I'm imagining maybe someone's like, oh, yeah, but I really want to capture her. You know, but maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, in some other version of the story, maybe that's, like, he's a double agent who's, like, secretly seeding this killer robot to, as a t- test run to see how effective it is in a yeah. real-world situation yeah, but we or get, something. But there's yeah, nothing in the movie yeah, that would actually that, support so. that. Anyway. My 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 second Hail Mary to save this movie would be to um, switch Dylan McDermott and the robot's character, <laughs> and have the have have the loving shower scene be her and the robot that she loves, and then the the climactic scene be Dylan McDermott dying in the shower. And but uh, does that mean she the thing instead of making like a big metal sculpture, she's actually like making this weird thing out of like gristle and bone and intestine? That well, that's even better house. than what I thought. I thought you might have to sort of combine Dylan McDermott with the pervy neighbor character a little bit and make them the same. <laughs> no, no, like, no. Like the trying robot to, delivers to her, get her but Dylan's Your head. idea is way better. Yeah, I like well, that. Yeah, he delivers her his head, and then the head <laughs> stitches a body back together from like the crap that she's been working with. Yeah, no, I, right. I, I, I and like And the that. robot that's been a little aloof until now it finally decides that he's going to, you know, make a real go at this relationship with her and, and save her from this uh, flesh beast and then you've got and then the pervy neighbor doesn't approve of her boyfriend or whatnot and it turns out it's, it's like you know you know the robot can give her something that that, that no man can because like it's just a different nature of the relationship because it's right. a robotic thing and so he doesn't like the the 
the boyfriend, but the he just can't, you know. Plus, the robot has all those rad drugs that get you all blissed out. Yeah, yeah. 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 I bet if you just took a little bit of those, you wouldn't die. You just feel really yeah. good. So, fuck yeah. It was it was it was weird to me that like the robot had two different dispensaries for that, and also that Dylan McDermott's response to it was so different from Alvy's, where Alvy's was apparently <laughs> a quick, painless, euphoric death, and Dylan why McDermott instead was, just gets like moody, yeah, and why also was thinks Dylan McDermott is, mutilating himself. I think he was. My, my theory is he's going to suck the poison out, which I don't think that works when you've been poisoned somewhere else. I think the idea is you're trying to pull it out of the bloodstream at the point of injection before it circulates. And I don't know if he knew that. I don't know if, like, the filmmakers knew that. Uh, but he, he cuts himself. And then he's hallucinating, like, horrible, wormy stuff on his arm. Yeah. Instead of, uh, instead of well, like, it's happy, the answer to joyful. both the why does he have two dispensers on the front of his face and why does Dylan McDermott do this thing is because they want the shot they want, right? They design <laughs> it the way they want it. And yeah. then, they, like, logic comes second to that. But, but it's also, it's got, like, the, it's got the injector's on its big mouth like right. fang thing but it's also got it in its fingertips apparently how oh, many different right. injection points does this fucking thing have maybe it's like a porcupine like yeah. at some point it could just make its entire body just like flick out with yeah it just uh, goes body surfing and then spikes that's that's its actual big move <laughs> i is, i did the the first thing i thought when he was slitting his wrist was that he was trying to kill himself and end it. Well, yeah, I kind of wondered about that. I don't know why, what don't, motivation know. he would have to that, especially if he's blissed out and he knows he's going to die anyway. I don't understand what. Yeah. yeah, but it did not seem to be the actual plan. Yeah, I don't. Think and he so. sort of brings it to his mouth, like he's going to suck the poison up. But that's not your. Like you said, it's a. It's already in his brain. Yeah. So it, you maybe slit your head open and suck the poison <laughs> out of your brain. I don't know what else is going <laughs> to make any difference. But. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess that that makes sense you know, too. Another thing they never did anything with. But then, why was would he the, have two cuts if he was going to suck at the point? I don't understand. Anyway, sorry. The the the, the thing that I feel like they never like came to any good fruition on was all the references to uh, population control and mutated babies and whatnot and everything. Like they established a bunch of stuff and then pointedly established uh, some sex. And I figured maybe they were going to go somewhere with maybe a pregnancy subplot or at least a pregnancy scare or possibility subplot but they really just like that another like you know bag of wet sand that just I wish they dropped. would have done that uh, but it was like the 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 other movie where where you know McDermott and the robot are are, are switched right. and um yeah, you know, like she's in the hospital and the nurse, like you know, like does some tests on her and comes back and she's like, "I'm sorry, it's human." And then there's a big dun, dun, dun. <laughs> an angry Bob would come on and yell about some stuff. Yeah, I feel okay. I feel like I feel like we're at the point in the the podcast where I've gone from trying to constructively talk about the things I think are interesting about why I didn't like the film to just sort of like sighing heavily. So, uh, so I might be about done. Do you, any other closing thoughts uh, from either of you? Let me- let me blow through my notes real quick and see. Um, oh, the she had painted when she was still using uh, the robot's head for the her art project. She painted it like um, was it like Captain America's helmet in um, Easy Rider? Is that what that was? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, like this she was my it. last note too. <laughs> when did the paint come off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! It did, didn't it? Like later, it was because it was. It was definitely still painted for the bulk of the film, but it feels like, yeah, eventually... Okay, it was slightly different than the one. So the one in um, the one in Easy Rider has, like, the stars 
on the top and like the uh, the what do you call it the stripes like on either side of it like oh, from yeah. about the ear level and on this one she just painted like half the skull going one way with stars and the other half with stripes right. an American flag motif regardless yeah as, as some sort of like I'm sure stirring condemnation by you know subtext of the idea of the malfeasance of the government in looking out for the people ha ha <laughs> it's the American flag but uh, but again the film didn't really. Well, he asked her what it meant, and she's like, nothing. It's not for you. <laughs> so there you go. It's Which is like she's addressing the audience, basically, yeah. I guess. This film wasn't for us. We should have, <laughs> yeah. we should recognize that this is a very, very intimate, personal piece. I uh, mean, it was only I have- released to theaters and video by accident. It is what I love and hate about this movie, is that it's just like, that was, you know, me. It's, I was, as a teenage, like, art school student like all i cared about was like making my art and like saying my thing and going against the grain and like it was just the same shit as in this movie like these like quasi religious overtones that don't mean anything and are uh, not thought through in any way <laughs> meaningfully <laughs> it's uh, like using this like kind of like metal and grit aesthetic and the using the american flag in a you know non non traditional non reverential way and stuff and just thinking that that gave charged my work with meaning and stuff this is it's exactly what's on the screen was exactly where my mind was at in terms of my own like full of myself teenage kind of like rebel artist rebel kid that i was yeah um was it what did you have something else to say about the the head paint thing did i totally cut you off yago no no that's all i had to say (laughs) was uh hey was that supposed to be captain america's helmet um (laughs) nope i think it was just an american flag because edgy yeah um let's see which again with not knowing notes which i don't think is much of a loss (laughs) oh there was a butcher when they were just walking into jill's apartment and, um, you know, you see, like, a bunch of, I guess, like, homeless people or, like, some stalls set up in there, like, shop stalls. And um, what's-his-name is complaining to... Uh, I mean, and that was very, like, Midnight cowboy like, at that point where they're, like, going into this, like, quasi-squat t- type of apartment. Um, and he's just, like, he's just like, oh, this place is terrible. And then the camera pans to, like, a butcher stall just in the lobby of this apartment building. Um, and I thought that was, like, kind of witty. If it was on purpose, and I'm not sure if it was. There was a couple butchers, and both butchers were just hitting the meat with a bat, I think. <laughs> well, that's how you get things done in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Carnitas Pinatas, I think it's called. Um, yeah, wouldn't it be great if the movie got out of the apartments, like, at the yeah, end or yeah. something, and then you actually got a little yeah. bit of a sense of space again? I, so, do you, do you think she just wasn't hitting the robot very hard with the bat? Because eventually it breaks. And, I mean, she's hitting, like, a big, spiky, metal, cutty sort of thing with the bat. It took a while to break. Well, to be fair, it's a robot made out of metal. I, I, I was not really counting on her being able to get anything for like, done with a wooden bat against it. She she made it mad. That's, that's as far as I can tell. All she did with the bat was make it mad. The but robot represents her. the audience. <laughs> and the bat represents the, the film. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the bat breaks at the end, if you notice. Yes. So even that, even that holds up. I wish just like right at that point, like the the actual like um, film just broke, and then it said "real missing," and then roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> Movie missing. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. I think maybe we should uh, maybe we should wrap it up then. 
we we do not have a plan yet for the next film. We'll uh, say something on Facebook to remind people that we exist and that this will come out, and we'll figure it out from there. Uh, I, I guess we could say in passing that uh, we thought about doing a Wes Craven film this this episode, but then didn't come up with any specific plan there. Yeah, but I mean, uh, we, I think I think you know if, if you if you don't know, um, he died uh, when. Hang on, but like recently, recently, like between yes. like the last podcast and this one, yes, uh, he had passed away at uh, the age of seventy-five. So, um, you know, it, uh, yeah, he was seventy-five, seventy-six when he died. Um, and yeah, but we had like just even very, very recently done so much Wes Craven stuff that I think that might have been a bit much. Yeah. Also, um, that may be why he died. We may be personally responsible. God, that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just like if it's like the podcast that killed Wes Craven, <laughs> he should make he should make a film about an actual podcast. I, no, I was going to say it him. sounds like a Wes Craven plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So you know, but yeah, sad, sad to hear that he passed. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll watch something and release something, and we'll do it in less than like two months. Uh, the, yeah. the, the, the the long, complicated summer of interruptions should finally be behind us at this point and the weather here will get nice and shitty i'll be at home uh and yeah so we'll go from there but i, I want to say thanks again uh, jesse for joining us for this oh weird god little- you guys this is yeah, enormously yeah, this fun. fun thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this this is just a total delight thanks you are welcome and yeah. also, the next in the cut episode is about a Wes Craven film. Oh, perfect! The Serpent and the Rainbow. Just to plug myself again. Yeah, no, do it, do it. <laughs> that was it. How about your eyes? Are your are your eyes limpid pools in which we could swim forever? Would you say uh, only when the aperture opens up enough that you can see <laughs> the red? <laughs> <laughs>